What does it take to win? What does it take to be a winner? Those are the questions I'm here to answer, and today I have help from Republican consultant Zach Hunter. Zach is one of my favorite people to work with. He's smart, creative, and he comes with a ton of experience, ranging from congressional campaigns to the Hill to one of the GOP's largest super PACs, the Congressional Leadership Fund. So uh, what's going on, man? What are, you, what are you working on this cycle? What's got you busy? Man, you know, as you know, I was the the deputy over at Congressional Leadership Fund in 2020. That's the the House uh, GOP aligned super PAC. Uh, after that, I just jumped out into the private sector. I knew it was time to kind of do something different. So I've been consulting for the last couple of years, uh, campaigns, uh, companies, causes, you name it. I've kind of done a little bit of everything. I make ads. I run outside groups. So uh, I stay busy uh, on a little bit of everything, honestly. Yeah. How, how did you like working at CLF? I mean, we did two cycles with those guys and had a lot of fun. Yeah. Honestly, you know, big super PAC work is it's good work if you can get it right. There aren't many really big legit super PACs out there. Um, But when you've got over a hundred million dollars to pour in congressional races, like you are the gorilla in the room, you can swing a race uh, anytime you want. And, you know, you're, you're not necessarily dealing with candidates, which is some of the, you know, one of the hardest things in politics is the personalities Uh, at a super PAC like that, you're you're illegally separated from the candidate. So in in some ways, it's it's really really good work and a lot of fun. Are you enjoying this more than when you were at CLF? Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, at some point in your career, you get to, get to a place where you want to kind of call your own shots and you know see what you can do on your own. And so that's uh, that's really what made me uh, step out, do something a little bit different. Um, I had been part of the, you know, the quote unquote party apparatus my entire career, whether it was campaigns or Capitol Hill. Uh, and I just, I was ready to do something a little bit different. And I have enjoyed it. Yeah. Tell me about that, man. Cause I've never really, you know, I have never dove into that. What, what happened before CLF? How did you get there? How did you come up into politics? Yeah. I mean, I came up to DC originally with my hometown member of Congress, got really lucky uh, to get paid next to nothing to drive him around for a couple of years. Um, but I, I just, I've bounced back and forth between Capitol Hill and campaigns basically every other cycle of my entire career. Um, so whether that was being a communications director for a high-profile member of Congress, uh, I was a press secretary at the NRCC. I led comms for the biggest committee in the House under Greg Walden, uh, 2017 to 2019, and then uh, came back to CLF. I was there in the 2012 cycle uh, as a junior staffer, came back as the deputy uh, with Dan Con constant in 2020. So uh, I've done high level on both the official side on Capitol Hill and the the campaign side. So I, cause I always have like a lot of youngsters come to me and, and ask for career advice. And, you know, they're trying to figure out if they want to go work on the Hill, if they want to stay on campaigns, if they want to get into lobbying, for example, well, what did you enjoy more? Did you enjoy campaign life more or working on the Hill? <laughs> well, every two years, the answer was different. That's why I switched. <laughs> um, you just can't sit still? Y- yeah. I mean, look, the, I think if you get a chance to work on Capitol Hill, especially maybe a member that you worked on their campaign and they got elected, um, and you can go work for somebody whose campaign you were on, I think that's that's an assuming you like them an ideal scenario because you get the taste of the campaign side and then you understand what you're actually trying to accomplish once you govern. Right? You know, the theme of this podcast is winning. But you can't govern if you don't win, and right. so you get you get to see both sides of the coin if you work for somebody that you campaigned with. Um, for me. I, I kind of think there's not a lot getting done on Capitol Hill these days. I still think it's a great experience. Um, but in the end, I think campaigns are going to be a lot more fun than working on the Hill moving forward. 
Yeah, I mean, elections matter, right? So also your Hill experience is going to be different whether you're in the minority or in the majority, right? Yep. Yeah, I was lucky to be in the majority uh, at the at the committee that I was on where we did really important stuff. Uh, it's not fun being on the Hill, especially in the House when you're in the minority. So yeah. that does that does matter. And uh, I think a lot of Democratic staffers are about to see what that's like in a couple of weeks. So you think we're going to take back the House? Yeah, I, I think that's I think that's pretty clear. What's your prediction on the Senate? Man, I think there are gonna be a lot of surprises in the Senate. Um, you know, there was a there was so much noise in August over the abortion ruling, the Supreme Court ruling. Yeah. Um, but man, everyone I talk to, every poll I see, I really think that Republicans are gonna have a better night than expected. Uh, just in the last couple of days, you've seen some stories come out about how things are, you know, the fundamentals are moving back to Republicans. I don't think the fundamentals went anywhere. I just think there was a lot of noise around an issue that was not great for Republicans, but the fundamentals have stayed basically in, in the same place uh, for Republicans. And I think there's going to be, you know, a couple Senate races that are that are surprised. Like I think, you know, say Dr. Oz, like he was written off six yeah. weeks ago or two months ago, and now the, the polls are basically tied. Like Dr. Oz has a great chance of being a U.S. senator. And, you know, two months ago, people would have laughed at you if you had said that. That's right. Well, well, people laughed at me when I said that, actually. Yeah. No, no. I, I Same thing, man. And obviously, we're involved in the Georgia race. You know, Phil's literally living in Atlanta right now with Herschel yeah. Walker. So trying to take that one and then uh, watching Ohio. That one's pretty yeah. close. Uh, looks like Arizona's kind of slipping away from us. Is that what you're seeing? Uh, I mean, some of the new polls have uh, Masters closing in a little bit. So, I mean, Carrie Lake, as uh, controversial as she is, She's a really strong candidate and yep. could could pull um, Masters close, if not over the finish line, because he's he's certainly not doing it himself. Nice. So looking back at your career, man, tell me a story. What's your favorite campaign you worked on? Doesn't have to be a win. It could be a loss, but just something that you learned a lot from that you just like look back at and think, you know, I, that's my favorite. I have a lot of fond memories of that experience. Yeah, well. I knew I knew exactly what campaign I wanted to talk about when I saw the name of your podcast, like the, the cost of winning, right? Winning is yeah. never free. You know, my first boss in politics took out a second mortgage on his house uh, in his <laughs> campaign. Like, thank God he won, right? But, you know, everyone, you got to be a little crazy to really get in there and do what it takes to win. Um, I, I want to talk about uh, a race from 2016, um, which obviously anyone in politics knows 2016 was the year everything got turned on its head. Yep. Everything you thought was true before 2016, you got to reevaluate afterwards. Um, but I was at the NRCC. I was a regional press secretary, and we I had the Western region. And we were really excited um, about California's 7th Congressional District. There was an incumbent member there, Ami Barra, a Democrat, who we thought was vulnerable. He had barely squeaked by in his previous race, and there were several good Republicans looking at running. And the important context here is that Republicans hadn't beaten an incumbent Democrat in California in over 20 years. Mm -hmm. So we at the NRCC, those of us in the Western region, like we were on the hunt, like we were determined to go out there and, you know, break that losing streak and beat an incumbent Democrat. And we had decided Ami Barra was the best bet for a lot of reasons. And so we ended up with who we thought was a great candidate, uh, Sheriff Scott Jones. He was a Sacramento, Sacramento County Sheriff. Uh, had a lot of crossover appeal, great record, reputation as a good campaigner. Uh, and what ensued was one of the most controversial and nasty campaigns of the cycle because each side had a major campaign, uh, a major scandal erupt. And so the entire campaign revolved around which scandal was worse and which which side could utilize that scandal to its advantage to win the race. 
<laughs> so what were the scandals? Tell, tell me each one. This is this is going to be juicy, right? Yeah, it, it should be. Uh, well, maybe maybe these days there it's not quite as exciting. But back in the day, they were both big scandals. Um, so first, uh, Scott Jones was a sheriff, right? We knew coming in that there would be some kind of accusations of excessive use of force, you know, mm-hmm. poor poor facilities for prison. You know, there are all sorts of things that come with having a sheriff, someone in law enforcement, complaints against the department. Uh, you know, we had talked to him, we had asked him, what do we need to be concerned about? We had done some due diligence and felt that like what we had seen, we were we were in a, in a great spot. We could, de- you know, defend any of the accusations. He was a big boy scout, basically, and had answers for everything. And um, we we felt really confident. But into the campaign, it came out that uh, one of his subordinates, someone he worked with, a, a female uh, member of his department, accused him of unwanted sexual contact. Oh, and great. this was at the exact same time that Donald Trump is running for president and there are women being rolled out almost on a weekly basis, accusing him of something. So this so, is like in the midst of the Me Too movement, right? But basically, like, you know, it was before the Access Hollywood tape that it came out, but you got to yeah. remember that's the environment that we're swimming in here. Gotcha. So this is California. This is Sacramento. Not exactly friendly ground for a Donald Trump type environment with Republicans. So yeah. that was the scandal that we were dealing with on our side was, you know, a tough Republican sheriff who's now being accused of unwanted sexual contact from a female uh, subordinate. <laughs> and what was the scandal on the other side? Well, Ami Berra, uh, his dad was a successful engineer. And we noticed at the NRCC, our team, we were digging into the research and we noticed an odd pattern in the donations to his campaign and to other members of Congress. And we uncovered that there was not only a donor swapping uh, scheme going on, which is maybe legal, maybe unethical, but probably not going to get someone in trouble. But the dad was actually reimbursing people for their donations, which is very much illegal. Very illegal. Wow. So we were able to, you know, get that out there, flag this for reporters and create a massive, massive uh, scandal for Ami Berra. But he was able to say that he knew nothing about it. There was nothing in writing that tied him to it necessarily. Um, But we were able to, you know, really make an issue of the fact that like they were gaming the system you know, cheating, cheating people, not playing by the rules, dirty money. Um, and this happened well before the Scott Jones scandal. So we were able to sort of run on this for a, a large part of the campaign. So you basically had competing scandals. Did these happen at the same time? Or is it like one scandal hit and then died down and then the other scandal hit? Yeah, the the uh, campaign finance scandal hit earlier, but it had several shoes to drop. Mm-hmm. Um, the the sexual scandal for Scott Jones hit later, uh, closer to the election. So, right. uh, but when we talk about the cost of winning, uh, Ami Berra did win the race by 4,800 votes, but the cost of Ami Berra was his 83 year old dad going to prison for a year. Are you kidding? That was the cost of winning. Yeah. So his, his 83 year old dad took the fall, was able to say the candidate knew nothing about it. And wow. he was sentenced to go to jail before the election in 2016. So Ami Berra is now having to run with his 83-year-old dad having been sentenced to prison. Holy shit. Did 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 it impact his numbers at all? I mean, was it was it, you know, hitting his favorability or was the district just that liberal and 
the sexual assault thing just kind of took over? I mean, why didn't, I mean, it seems to me that that would take someone out. Well, there were competing scandals. So it's if we had just had Vera dead to rights with nothing uh, on our side, I think we would have won. It was incredibly, even, even with those scandals, it was incredibly close. Um, but in the end, I, I think the district leaned a little Democrat, right? I mean, this is Sacramento, California, not exactly deep red country. Um, a sexual, a sexual assault scandal, that's really personal. That speaks to somebody's character. Uh, you tie that to the national environment with the accusations against Donald Trump, the excess Hollywood tape. Uh, it was very hard to overcome that. And then, of course, you know how a candidate and a campaign navigates those scandals matters, too. That was my next question. How did he respond? What was how did he navigate that? Yeah. So it was a little bit easier for the Barrett campaign to navigate this. Right. Mm-hmm. They uh, they claim they knew nothing about it. They were able to say that, you know, a lot of this, while it may look untoward, is completely legal. Um, and the, the the legal process had to had to actually run its course. So it wasn't quite as like a, a massive one shoe drops. It's really damning as what happened with the sexual, you know, the sexual allegations uh, for Scott Jones. So um, I think it's a little harder to navigate, especially in that environment, being accused of unwanted touching by a subordinate when you're in a position of leadership. That's a very personal accusation. So I, I think I just told a congressional candidate. Uh, literally two days ago that, you know, they wanted to hit their opponent on some campaign finance stuff. And I said, this is just so inside baseball that voters just don't care. Mm-hmm. They don't care that someone filed late. They don't care if someone did something shady with their ethics report. Even if it's criminal and someone goes to jail, they're not going to care about that as much as a sexual assault. The sexual assault thing just hits someone personally where only us insiders really care about the campaign finance issue. Yeah, that's exactly right. When it came down to it, they had the better scandal to message on than we did. We, you know, someone went to jail for their scandal, but in the end, from a, an electoral perspective, theirs theirs was more potent. Did the sheriff deny it? He did. And was there any proof of it, or was it just like you know, believe believe women type thing? Yeah, well, I mean, she filed a formal complaint, so there was there was there were court documents that had her allegations specifically laid out right this wasn't a generic allegation she 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 laid out specific actions that he allegedly took and so then when you think about the campaign ads that can be run those get those get pretty tough so we look we we worked with the campaign they ran some great ads with other law enforcement standing with the sheriff and talking about how great he was like the, the ads were good the response ended up being strong but in the end i think they you know their their ammo was better than ours did this allegation and her filing the formal complaints, did that happen before he announced for office or did this happen during the campaign? No, this had happened before. And I guess, you know, he assumed that it wasn't going to come out, which is an important lesson. Yeah. Did you guys do, and you know, I just released that book um, about cancel culture and there's an entire chapter in there about research. Uh, did you guys do a vulnerability study on your guy or did the campaign? We, we did, but you know, as the NRCC, like we, we sort of only have a certain amount of uh, of control over who runs and who doesn't. So yeah. we did not we did not catch this specific allegation in our our vetting. Um, but it, in the end, like he was going to run regardless. We gotcha. weren't part of the formal campaign, and he was he knew it was out there and had had chosen to run. Yeah, but even if he was going to run, I guess my point is that that doesn't mean that the NRCC has to go so hard for him. If the or if the NRCC knew about yeah. these allegations, they might would have pulled back some of the effort. But the reason I, I say that is because I think it is such an error 
because a lot of campaigns just want to save money and they always want to do opposition research or they never want to do their own vulnerability study. And, you know, I would say on our side, maybe 20 to 25% of our candidates say, okay, hey, yeah, let's let's do a study on me because they always say, hey, I'm honest and I'm going to tell you everything about me. And then you end up with like the sheriff who didn't tell you either one may have forgotten because let, let's be real, like a lot of the financial stuff, let's say you had a lien or something like that. You might have just forgotten that sexual assault. I doubt it. But you're also just going to lie because you're embarrassed and you want the help from the NRCC. Yeah, I, that's absolutely right. And, uh, you know, most of the time, you know, that's on the candidate and the campaign themselves to do these these deep dives. Uh, I wish the party had control, right? Like, I think we all agree that if you had the ability to say, like, no, you're a bad candidate, you shouldn't run. Uh, the Republican Party would be in a much different place today, right? right. Um, <laughs> uh, so I totally agree with you. The The vulnerability study is important, um, not only because you may not know, but you may not have a good answer for stuff. And you may need to rely on your consultants, rely on folks like you and me to help work through how to actually respond from a messaging perspective. Maybe, maybe you got to do a poll and figure out what works uh, and then build a plan. And so I agree. It's always better to be prepared than to be caught flat-footed. That's insane that the dad went to jail and he still won that election. Is he still in office? Yeah, he is. Did the sheriff win re-election to sheriff or was was he did. Is his career he's, over? He's still in office as well. You're right. Sheriffs are hard to run. I've I've I did one in 06 in Michigan and we lost, but um it, it a lot of times running local candidates like city council, county councils, they have like a lot of uh, tax increases that you wouldn't expect. And then sheriffs at the local level are always hard because there's always, as you said at the beginning here, these like these local controversies of some someone was beat up or there was a, a killing or they're just always, always accusations in a sheriff's race. Yeah. And, and race matters too. Like, let's be very honest. He was, yeah. he's a white guy, right? Yeah. So a, a white male sheriff running is going to have vulnerabilities of accusations uh, that maybe a sheriff of another demographic wouldn't like we, we just have to be realistic about what we're dealing with in 2022 right now. And in and, and those allegations against a white male sheriff are, are going to be more potent. Yeah. So I don't think the lesson of this is winners throw their dads under the bus <laughs> and send them to jail. I, I don't want that to be the title of this podcast. So hey, what, what what is the lesson that you learned personally from this one? Well, I, I think, uh, you know, learning how to navigate a scandal is probably the most important part of when you're running a race or consulting with the race, uh, because you can have the best laid plan. You can come into this with the best messaging and the slickest ads, um, but there's always going to be a curveball thrown at you. And if you and the candidate aren't prepared to handle uh, what comes your way, it doesn't matter how good the rest of your plan is. You need to be able to think on your feet, to react, uh, to be cool under fire so to speak. And, Love it. uh, and, and as Austin Chambers said, lean in and, and try and turn something bad into a, a good outcome. Yeah. So winners understand crisis strategy or, or something along those lines and winners understand, um, how to respond when you get punched in the mouth. You know, as, as Mike Tyson said, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the mouth real, real, real winners know how to respond after getting that hit. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You're not going to win without getting punched in the face. So how you, you know, whether you've got a glass jaw or the ability to to respond is is going to determine whether or not you are a winner. Awesome, man. I love it. I love it. So you um before we go personal stuff. So you got you're married with kids, right? 
Yep. Married coming up on 10 years. I got two kids, one who's uh, almost four and one that's nine months old. How is uh, how has it been balancing the campaign season with dad life? <laughs> uh, well, you were just joking about your kids being sick. I think that's the hardest part is kids always start getting <laughs> sick in the fall. And like right when you are getting busiest is when they need you to you know, be there for them at night when they can't sleep because they're sick. And so, uh, you know, when you're busy in campaigns and not sleeping, you add kids on top of that. And it's like, I'll sleep when I'm dead, I guess. Dude, I, you can hear it in my voice. I was in bed for two weeks. I still haven't fully recovered, but man, they're just germ factories, bro. And like, I, I consider myself and bill myself, advertise myself as like this fitness buff and this health guy, but does it matter how healthy you are? If you got kids, they're bringing shit home to you, man. You're going to get sick. Yeah, it doesn't matter, uh, you know, how many supplements you take if your kids are sneezing in your eyes, you know, like 100%. No, no amount of whey protein can fix that. That's that's great. That's that's really good advice. All right, brother, man, it was, it was really good catching up with you. I'll catch you later. All right. Take it easy, Wes.